Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Anyway, uh, time to look outside the borders of our country to see what's going on in other parts of the world. Jonathan DeBarca Butler joins us once again. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you keeping? Now, first, uh, the UK we're going to, and uh, mm. there's a university marking strike, one of the many strikes that have been going on there lately. Yeah, I, I suppose anyone who keeps an eye on politics in the, in the UK will know that there's um, workers in Britain are striking in a lot of sectors, uh, mainly down to the fact that inflation has it's been bad here, but I think it's even worse over there. It hit a 41-year high of 11.1% in October, and pay just simply mm. isn't keeping pace with it. So healthcare workers, transport workers, they've been well documented. Uh, you see them covered a lot uh, on the news, but I think um, people who are involved in universities uh, have been less well documented. And it, of course, is having their strike, although they're not calling it a strike, <laughs> they're calling it something short of a strike, is leaving an awful lot of students in limbo uh, because they simply can't get their exam results. Um, so this is affecting 140 UK universities, which is quite a significant amount, uh, given that there's something like 166 universities in the country altogether. Good few more than that in terms of uh, third level colleges. And what's happening here is if we take one example, there's a student uh, who I read an interview with from the University of Edinburgh. Right. She's from the United States. Um, she got a letter from her university uh, saying, sorry, that we can't give you the degree because there's nobody there to mark your tests. And oh, therefore, God. we haven't seen your scores. And so now uh, she's saying that she's in a bit of trouble because normally what would happen here would be she'd get her degree. Then she'd be able to apply for a graduate visa. And she has a job lined up in London that she might not be able to take now because she can't get the graduate uh, visa because she hasn't graduated. Um, oh. So the Home Office has had to get involved. Hello, Jonathan. Oh, afraid we've lost uh, uh, Jonathan there. Those uh, lines do go down occasionally. That's a, a, a bit of a whoopsie about that. Anyway, ba- back to Jonathan. Afternoon again, Jonathan. How are you, Sean? Sorry about that. Uh, I, I, did you do it deliberately? I, I don't think you have to apologise for your crappy broadband supplier. No, it's grand. <laughs> a long story. <laughs> uh, right, OK. So, uh, Colombia, let's go to next, where the president's son has been arrested. Yeah, this is uh, an individual by the name of Nicolas Petro, who is the son of President Gustavo Petro. Um, now, Gustavo Petro has only been in power for around about a year, and he's having a bit of a difficult time of it. He came to power promising that he was going to um, bring about ceasefires and all sorts of peace talks with the various different armed organizations that are still prevalent in Colombia, right? One of those being the National Liberation Army, who just announced a 180-day ceasefire there last week, and they're going into peace talks. But other major crime gangs as well, he's talking, he's thinking of talking to her, that's what he's suggesting. So it doesn't look good for him when his son is arrested uh, for corruption mm-hmm. uh, and has been detained over allegations that he was paid by drug traffickers to fund his father's peace efforts and uh, his election campaign. Um, There's a few aspects to this. Uh, It seems that um, uh, the initial uh, investigation into him was around uh, money that he took, as I said, during the campaign, which was kind of like a fee that drug traffickers were paying for him. 
uh, a type of way of getting into the peace talks. So they said, you know, okay, if your dad becomes president, we'll give, here's a few quid. We want to be at the table for, for the beginning of these police talks. Uh, or sorry, peace talks. Yeah. And then this investigation into him was launched back in March. And who launched that investigation or who ordered that investigation? His own father. Um, then a couple of months later, uh, his ex-wife came out uh, against him and basically said that Nicholas had arranged a donation of over 120,000 uh, euros for uh, for a politician who was once convicted of drug trafficking in, in, um, in Washington. Uh, and was seeking Petro's uh, support to to resume his political career. So there's a couple of strands to this. Uh, it doesn't look good for the son at this point in time, but he says, of course, in good political language, that he welcomes the investigation uh, because he reckons it's going to clear his name and he denies all of these particular charges. But yeah. he's got a lot of the family against him already, given that his dad is the one who launched the investigation and his ex-wife is coming out against him um, seeming to back these allegations. Yeah. And is there any danger that it, that it might, given that obviously he was, you know, if this turns out to be true, these people were throwing money at him because of who his father was. Uh, mm. Is there any possibility that that might arrive back at, uh, at Gustavo's door? Well, I think this is why Gustavo put a tweet out saying to my son, I wish you luck and strength. May these occurrences forge your character and may he reflect on his own errors. So I think he, while he's tr he's saying his son should reflect on his own errors, I think the father is saying, well, I'm deflecting here from anything, from this being anything to do with me. Interestingly enough, the ex-wife, um, who, who actually put these allegations forward in a magazine uh, last month, said that the president was unaware that the money uh, had been gathered for him, shall we say, and was mm -hmm. in fact kept in a safe on the couple's property. Now, needless to say, Nicholas has been, uh, the son, that is, has been arrested, but the ex-wife has also been, arre has been arrested as oh. well, uh, and she's going to be investigated. So, you know, maybe she's dug a bit of a hole for herself here. But look, to answer your question, Sean, it's very difficult to see this not being a problem for the president as time goes on. Uh, I don't know if he'll be dragged into it directly, but indirectly, I mean, he's already dragged into it as as it is. His brother is also under investigation for something similar. Um, so it doesn't look good for him at all. Oh, gosh. Uh, he could be spending a lot of time visiting family members in prison then. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Right, Singapore, we're going to go to uh, next. Another kind of, I suppose, uh, uh, to do with a justice story. Uh, a woman's going to be executed there first time in how long? Yeah, so this was a woman who was, was executed, in fact, last Friday. Ah. Um, the, I came across the story last middle of last week, and in the, in the meantime, the, the woman was executed. She's the first woman in almost 20 years to be executed. This is Sar Sari Dewey Jamani was her name, 45-year-old woman, who was found guilty of trafficking, that's what they called it, trafficking 30 grams of heroin. Now, 30 grams... I don't know when was the last time you did a little bit of baking, Sean, but 30 grams is a very small amount right. of any kind of, uh, of, any kind of I, powder. I must say, I tensed up when you started that sentence, but uh, I, I'm glad <laughs> it ended with baking. So it's not a huge amount of heroin. No, not at all. But in, and this was back in 2018, but in Singapore, you know, they've really tough anti-drug anti laws, as mm. you know. And the death penalty there can be applied for trafficking of over 15 grams of heroin and 500 grams of cannabis. Um, but as I said, uh, and, and they do apply the death penalty. I mean, she is the 15th person, as far as I know, 
uh, to be executed because of drugs possession or trafficking since March of 2022. So that's quite a significant amount. But as I said, the first woman in 20 years um, to be executed. Right. Okay. And I suppose the, the logic for all this is that Singapore is drug free, etc. Is there evidence that that's the case? Well, it depends on who, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. I mean, in this particular case, this woman, and I found it a bit, it's, it's quite a sad story, to be honest with you, because she testified during her trial that she was stocking up on heroin for personal use during Ramadan, would you believe? And she didn't deny selling the drugs, but she said that it was on a really small scale. So I imagine that this was a very poor woman who had a very bad problem. And there is, you know, evidence of, you know, drug problems, drug related problems, of course, like any city in the world in, in Singapore. Um, now, for their side, the authorities argue that, look, the drug laws help keep Singapore safe and it is quite a safe place. Uh, they also say that capital punishment for, for, for drug offences is supported by the public. Mm. Um, but there'd be advocates against the death penalty that, that would contest that. And uh, it, it's one of the few countries in the world where people who who um, are convicted for, for drugs-related um, uh, crime can be sent to, uh, sent to the gallows, effectively. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, Ghana we're going to go to next. And by contrast, they've just abolished the death penalty. Yeah, I, I, I kind of jumped out of me after I saw the Singapore story that I'd maybe put a kind of lighter bit of shade on, on the story by looking at Ghana. Uh, it's become the 29th country in Africa um, to, uh, to, to abolish the death penalty. And so that means that uh, 176 people who are currently on death row, including six women, um, are likely to have their sentences commuted to life imprisonment. So it's kind of a good news story. Um, there's still over 30 countries in the world that have the death penalty. And um, in 2021, 883 executions were, were recorded uh, across the world. Um, and, you know, I, I can imagine that the figures have been similar in the last two years as well. Um, but look, it's one more country and uh, and it's going, I suppose, in the right direction. Yeah, that 883 executions. I don't know if you know the answer to this. Is that an mm. increase in the amount of people executed or a decrease? Is it, it known? Was, it was an increase of 53% since 2021. Oh. Uh, um, so, yeah. But look, you've always got to take the, these numbers with a pinch of salt because as far as I know, and I'm open to correction on this myself, but doesn't China not reveal its uh, its numbers? Yes, indeed. That's as far true. as I know. Yeah. So you've always got to take them. And I'd say there's a couple of other countries that kind of keep the numbers down as well. So you've always got to take it with a pinch of salt. But look, it's one good news story, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Uh, the United States, we're going to go to uh, finally. And a good news uh, story uh, about a, a missing girl who just turned up again. Yeah, this is Alicia Navarro, who was uh, 14 years of age when she went missing from Glendale, Arizona on the 15th of September uh, 2019. So I suppose a little less than four years later, she decided to turn up in a, a police station in Montana. Now, I don't know uh, if, if you know the geography of the United States very well, but Arizona and Montana are very, very far away from each mm, other. Um, yeah. So how she ended up there, we don't really know at this stage. Um, when she uh, left her home, she did leave a note uh, to her mother, basically saying that uh, she ran away. She swore that she'd be back and she was very sorry. 
uh, there was a missing persons uh, investigation launched into it and there was hundreds if not thousands of tip-offs and sightings and that kind of thing but she was never found and apparently the reason she walked into the police station uh, is because she wanted to get a driver's license uh, when huh. she walked into the station she's, she said I'm aware I'm on the missing persons list which I want to be removed from so I can get a driver's license uh, they thought she was a little bit mad at the beginning but the, if you look at the pictures of her now and the pictures of her when she was a kid there's been very little change um, but what she's been up to in the last number of years, nobody really knows. Now, we know that she was, she spoke to her mother pretty much straight away after she went into the police station. So they've been reunited, albeit it was over Zoom. Yeah, She's not in trouble, according to the police, even though they put an awful lot of resources and the FBI in, uh, included, uh, put an awful lot of resources into looking for her. But Effectively, because she's 18 now, whether she's going to go back to her home state of Arizona or not, I don't know. She can do whatever she wants. Ah, um, right. We just know that she's she's back and she's alive and she seems to be safe and happy and uh, a very strange story, but a good news story, I suppose. Yeah. But also, yeah, also interesting in that she only turned up because she was looking for the driving license. <laughs> exactly. If she didn't yeah. have to do that. They still might know uh, where she is. Right, Absolutely. Jonathan, uh, what should we look out for over the next week or so? Yeah, a couple of things coming up. Uh, obviously, there's an awful lot of politicians who are on their holidays and parliaments are shut down and that kind of thing. So there's not too much going on in that. But uh, International Beer Day takes place on the 5th of August. Nice. Um, and that's followed by International Hangover Day. That's neat timing. That's brilliant. Yes, excellent yeah. timing. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if the two are related, but that's, I'd say they are. Yeah. Uh, and then the 8th and 9th of August, uh, Am- the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization known as ACTO are uh, having their summit. Um, so that'll be interesting, given that it's being held in uh, in Brazil, and it'll be the first time, I think, that Lula will be sort of there, or at least his, ah, yeah. his aura, shall we say, shall yeah. be there during that particular summit. So uh, interesting to see what happens there. Jonathan, thanks a million as Thank ever. Uh, Jonathan DeBurka Butler there. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze on Newstalk.